The Bible tells us 1 Corinthians chapter 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? Thank you, and please be seated. We know this is uh, found in one of the two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, church that he established there in somewhere in the neighborhood of around 50 or 49 AD. And in this passage of scripture, what we find is that the apostle Paul is addressing uh, some Christians in that church that are not walking uh, worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's been our focus for the last uh, few weeks. In the month of July, we've been looking and finishing up that sixth and final filter that we find in our focal passage. And we've been talking about how to be a person of character, how to be a Christian of character, of good repute. How do we walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so as I was kind of thinking through this sermon and thinking through how we would be opening up the month of August together, I couldn't help but think about how that as you set through uh, the opening part of the month of July, as I introduced this passage, and then for the last two weeks, as you've been uh, listening to Dr. Yancey, as he's kind of built upon those uh, opening remarks that I had to share, I I wonder how many of you, as we highlighted the conduct and we highlighted what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ that walks worthy of the gospel of Christ. I wonder if in that process, how many of you were able to say, well, yes, Pastor Galen, or, or yes, Dr. Yancey, as I've listened to the sermon and as I've evaluated my life in light of what's been shared, I honestly can say that I walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's obvious in these opening verses that I read to you out of the book of Corinthians that there were many Christians there in that church that could not say that. Uh, there's no way in the world that they could say that they walked in that way. That doesn't mean that they weren't saved. It didn't mean that uh, they weren't part of the family of God. Uh, it didn't mean that Paul did not love them in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But Paul's saying, I'm noticing some characteristics that are in your life. I'm noticing some, some areas that you've got blind spots. I, I'm noticing that there's some spiritual immaturity in your life. And when that's present, you're not walking in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not every Christian in Corinth walked that way. Uh, not every Christian in our, in, in, our, in our area walks that way. And so we understand it's a journey and it's a process uh, that we kind of go on. But oftentimes uh, we like to assign blame. We like to say, well, if I just had a better pastor or if I just had a better worship service or if there were songs that I understood more or, or, man, if my ABF teacher was better. And we have all of these reasons as to why we don't grow. But when we go back to this, uh, to the the thrust of this passage, uh, Paul's addressing some people that have not embraced their responsibility to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they could not blame it on not having good theological instruction. I mean, they had one of, if not the greatest theological teacher of all time that is imparting truth to them, and yet they were still not walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the issue wasn't the lack of music, or the issue wasn't the lack of, of, of a building, or the lack of a good preacher, or a good uh, Bible study teacher. That really wasn't the issue. The issue simply was they were choosing not 
to walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. It was a choice that they were making to not follow through with the things that they were learning. Some time ago, I did a little bit of research on the... uh, uh, the, 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 the Rose Parade. And, you know, I like to watch college football and I like to watch the granddaddy of them all, you know, and that's a great thing. And so I was reading and in the early stages of beginning to do the floats and, and the parade of roses and all those things, in the middle of the parade uh, one time, there was a float that ran out of gas and it held up the whole parade for quite some time until someone could go get a, a can of gas and bring and fill up the vehicle. And the irony in that story was Uh, It was the Standard Oil Company's float that ran out of gas. John D. Rockefeller's uh, pilot company is the one that ran out of gas. And and, and we kind of think about that and we process that. And it's kind of amusing in some ways. And I share that story to highlight the fact uh, that there's many Christians, as I alluded to earlier, that was in Corinth in in 50 AD. And there's many Christians uh, that are in the Spring Woodlands area today. Uh, I would dare say there's probably many that find themselves in this worship service today that aren't walking worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the reason simply is, is because they have run out of gas. Have any of you ever run out of gas in a car before? Anybody? Everybody raise your hand. I mean, good grief. You know, we've all, in a four-wheeler, has anybody run out of gas in a four-wheeler, right? You know, has anybody intentionally run out of gas? Did you get up that morning and say, I'm going to embarrass Carson to no end. And on the way to junior high, right in front of the car, right in front of the school, so that every person passes by, I'm going to run out of gas just to make his day. You know, that's not something that you intentionally do. Why does it happen? We forget to catch, uh, check the gauges. We forget to pay attention to what's going on around us. Our life gets busy and we're just in the mode of trying to get everything accomplished. And we forget this one little simple thing of making sure that we have the gas in the vehicle to be able to accomplish what we're doing. We don't do it intentionally. We oftentimes just simply lose track of times. We're kind of like those circus performers. We have so many plates that are spinning up in the air and we're trying to keep them all going. And somehow we allow our walk with God, our, our spiritual time with God to become one of the plates instead of becoming over all things that we do. To keep all of those plates spinning in a way that brings honor and glory to him. And when we do that, that's when time kind of passes by and, and things kind of slip away from us. Uh, we were surprised this week when, uh, when Mackenzie and Chris and the boys showed up in Branson and we were able to spend a few days with them and, and that was a great time. And so naturally they left to leave and we immediately got on FaceTime before they got out of the parking lot so we could continue to spend time with them, you know. And so uh, Mackenzie and Lena, they began to talk about our plans for Christmas. And I'm like, what in the world are y'all talking about? I mean, Christmas was just, oh, that was almost eight months ago. Christmas is almost here, right? I mean, aren't you so glad that summer break just started and we have the three months ahead of us? Oh no, it's over for teachers. It just kind of time just slips by us so quickly. And the same thing is true for our Christian life. Life is happening. Things are going on. Plates are spinning. We're trying to get it all done. And the next thing we know, 365 days have passed by. And I wonder if you look at the past 365 days from today, are you still the same Christian today that you were a year ago? Has things been so busy and out of control and, and going in your life? And, 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 and really and truly, 
If there's not been progress in your life, there's no way that you're the same Christian that you were a year ago. There's no such thing as a static walk with God. We are either moving forward in that relationship with God or we're moving back in that relationship with God. And oftentimes it's not intentional. We're not trying to do that. We're not, we're not wanting to run out of gas, but there's so much going on in our life that we're not paying attention to what we should be doing to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when Christians don't refuel and they get so caught up in these things, uh, we hear a story like... Uh, the, the Standard Oil Company's float ran out of gas. And we kind of chuckle. Oh, that's really funny. But is it funny when a Christian lets that happen? When a Christian has the power inside of them that's greater than anything in the world. The Holy Spirit, the, the power of all power, the strength of all strength. We would never chuckle at the fact that we run out of gas. But it's kind of the same thing, is it not? Standard oil company ran out of gas. A Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ that has God Almighty living inside of them. They allow themselves to run out of gas. They allow themselves to be the same person, spiritually speaking, today that they were two years ago. It, it messed up the parade that day. And that attitude messes up our life. Each and every day. So many Christians find themselves struggling financially or they find themselves struggling in their marriages or they find themselves struggling in their purpose in life because they've tried to stay the same for the last 365 days and it's holding up the process. And so this morning as we kind of set the stage for moving forward as we continue this journey of marching off the map, this is where we need to kind of begin this journey for the fall 2022 in the life of Oak Ridge Baptist Church. We need to dismiss some myths that are in our life that somehow make us think it's okay to be the same Christian today that we were 365 years ago. That it's okay to not grow in our faith, to not mature in our faith, that somehow we've arrived or we can live a static Christian life. Because if we don't dispel those, there's no way in the world that we're going to march off the map. And each and every one of us have to embrace that because this church is not this building. This church is each and every one of us. And for us to march, all of us have to be marching in sync and marching together to be able to accomplish what God has put us here to do. So this morning, I want us to talk about some myths that keep us from walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's four of those that I'm going to share with you, uh, but hopefully it will engage us to be ready for what we're going to be moving forward with in the life of our church. And the first myth that I want us to, to dispel this morning is that spiritual maturity is optional. Spiritual maturity is optional. That is a myth. Many Christians that were in Corinth back in the day, many Christians today, uh, they believe that my growth in Christ is my business. It's nobody else's business. It doesn't matter what I do. Uh, somehow I live in an, on an island of myself in a bubble. Whether I grow or does not grow doesn't affect my church. It doesn't affect anything. And that's absolutely not true. The result of this myth in many people's life is that uh, many Christians today are living a really a comatose um, maybe apathetic might be a better word. They're, they're, they're really just kind of living a bland Christian life. 
Remember what Jesus said about that. He said, you're called to be the salt of this earth. And a salt that loses its flavor, it's just trampled over. It's, it's of no use whatsoever because it's not functioning the way that it is called to. And so a Christian that buys into this myth, they're not being impactful. They're not being the salt in the world that God has called them to be. And from a human perspective, I can always rationalize that this is an acceptable state to be in spiritually. I'm so busy. I have so many plates spinning. I have so many irons in the fire. I have so many places to be all at the same time. But from God's perspective, I want you to understand this morning that this idea of spiritual maturity being an option, no, that's not the case. It may be an option for us, but it's not an option from God. The truth that dispels this myth simply is God expects his children to be on a constant growth pattern. That is the expectation from God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes these words. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by that milk of the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. Let's kind of put this idea in a human perspective for just a few moments. Uh, we would never be satisfied if we had a child that was not continually growing. I use this illustration quite often when I'm in a counseling session. Uh, I, I'm a spiritual counselor. Uh, there are issues that people deal with in their life that need specialized training. But most often, the counseling that I'm asked to do in a person's life, most often is the result of a Christian not choosing to grow in their faith. A, choosy, a, a Christian that is not refueled, a Christian that has not embraced this notion that they should be on a constant growth pattern in their life. And I use this illustration, and you may have heard it uh, before. I say, you know, we, 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 those of us that are parents, we have this baby, and we bring them home, and we take them back to the doctor at the two-week checkup. And there's an expectation when we take them back. That baby's going to be the same length, maybe a little off if they didn't measure it just right. But most likely that baby's going to lose a little bit of weight. That just kind of happens in the process. And then they make a turn and they begin to grow and they begin to mature. If we took that baby back at the two-month checkup and the doctor measured him and said, the baby is the same length, but it weighs less than it did at the two-week checkup, suddenly we would start getting a little concerned. Now we take the baby back for its two-year checkup, and the baby is the exact same length as it was as a newborn, and now weighs even less than it did when we took it to its two-week checkup, we would be freaking out. We would be selling our house. We would be cashing in our 401k. We didn't care how many times that we had to miss work. We were going to go to every specialist that there possibly is down in the medical center. And we're going to get to the root of this problem because it is not natural for a newborn baby not to grow, not to mature, and not to be bigger than they were at the moment that they were born. And that's exactly why so many Christians oftentimes have difficulties in their life. They are the same baby that they were 10 years ago. They've not grown. They've not matured. They've not progressed in their faith and their walk with Jesus Christ. And we just keep walking by them because we look at the outside. We look at the physical. They have a great job. They're a good person. They do these things. But spiritually speaking, they're not mature. They're not walking worthy of the gospel of Christ. They're the ones that are 
causing the envy and the strife and the struggle and the disunity inside the church because they are still operating in a me-centered baby Christian mentality and they're not desiring the pure milk of the word to grow in that way. And so as a Christian, we should understand just like we expect our children to grow physically, God expects his children to grow spiritually. And we know that because the truth that we can deal with is that God equips his children to grow. God gives us the ability to be able to grow. It'd be, it would be foolish for him to say, I want you to grow and then not equip us to be able to do that. So before he leaves earth, before he makes his, 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 his final declaration as Messiah, before his death, burial, and resurrection, ascension back to heaven, he gathers his disciples together and says, hey, listen, I'm going to be leaving you. And that's where we have John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe God, believe also me. They're kind of freaking out. And then a part of this dialogue, he says to them in John chapter 16, He says, but there's another one that's going to come alongside of you that's going to equip you to be able to deal with my absence. And when he, the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. And so the Holy Spirit is present in the world that is around us. And you better be glad that the Holy Spirit is in the world today. This world would be way worse than it is right now if it wasn't for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the world that we have today. But not only is he present in the world, he is literally present inside of us. Paul is writing to these Christians in Corinth that aren't living worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he makes this statement in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you understand that at the moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He comes to live inside of you. Therefore, you are equipped to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're equipped by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, you're equipped by God's word. That's what Peter was saying. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that by it, you may grow in respect to your salvation But not only are we given the Holy Spirit, not only are we given the word, you were given to me to help me be equipped to be the Christian that God has called me to be. Do you understand that today? You and I are in community together. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. When you choose not to walk worthy of the gospel, when I choose not to walk worthy of the gospel, we are causing each other not to grow and to be everything that God has called us to be. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And by the way, while you're holding on to the confession of your faith, think about ways to stimulate one another to love and good deeds so that you can be the salt and the light that God has called you to be. And by the way, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. Don't forsake coming together in community. Don't forsake coming together and sharing what's going on in your life. So many times people will say in the world today, well, I don't need church. Church is full of hypocrites. Praise the Lord, it's full of hypocrites, amen? Because it's there that we get things right in our life. It's there that we change the things that need to be changed. When we all get it perfect, we need to leave because we're gonna mess it up if we stay there much longer. But we need that interaction with each other. Yes, I can worship God on a deer stand. Yes, I can worship God fishing. Yes, I can worship God 
most of the time on the golf course. Not all the time, but most of the time I can do that, right? But what does the Bible say? The Bible says there's only one way to eternal life. Is that true? Why, why do we say that? Because the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And the same Bible also says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You need to be stimulating one another to love and good deeds. You need to be spending time together so that we don't feel like we're on an island by ourselves because God has equipped us through the Holy Spirit, through his word, through the gathering together as a fellowship of believers to be able to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen very carefully. Because God expects us to grow and because God equips us to grow, if we choose not to grow, then we should expect God's discipline to fall in our life. I'm going to read this passage of scripture to you. You're probably very familiar with it. And some of you need to pay very close attention. You're choosing to live optional growth in your life and it's hunky-dory. If church is convenient, I'll go. If it's not convenient, I won't go. If living God's standard in my dating life is good, great. If it's not, no big deal. Living by God's standards financially, I may or I may not. And nothing is going on in your life Either way, whichever way you do it, it's just rocking along just fine. Listen very carefully. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? We have our children. They're born into our family. We put boundaries up so they understand the boundaries. We discipline if they step out of that. Why? Because we're interested in them being whole. We're interested in them being everything that God has created them to be. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But... If you are without discipline, you just continue to do everything contrary to the things of God and nothing ever happens in your life. If you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. If you're of the idea that sometime at some place in your life, you said a few magic words and suddenly you're a part of the family of God, but you don't live that way. You don't desire to live that way. There's no, there's no conviction in your life when you're not living that way. There's no discipline that comes. This passage of scripture says you better check those magic words that you think that you prayed because there are no magic words. There is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you live contrary to what God expects, then you can expect discipline to come because he expects us to grow and he equips us to grow. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. From all of these truths, I dispel the myth that spiritual maturity is optional. 
The second myth that we want to dispose of this morning is that spiritual maturity happens uniformly. That we all grow and mature in the same fashion. Wouldn't it be great? We go to the pediatrician. We, we, we weigh our kids and we measure our kids and we put them up on the chart. Oh, my child's at the 57th percentile. Or, oh, my child's going to be an NFL lineman. He's in the 101st percentile. Or, in my case, my grandkids, they're in the 21st percentile. So they're going to be very smart people and rule the world in business, right? We have all these things that we use. Wouldn't it be great if we had a chart that says you have been saved for four years, two months, and 18 days. And that means that you're at this place in your spiritual maturity. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if there was some kind of app that we could download into our phone that we could just plug in our numbers and it would spit out, oh yeah, you're a 69 percentile when it comes to your walk with God. Oh, I need to grow 31%. What about if we could develop a watch, like an Apple watch, and we could put it on our wrist and it would measure everything about us spiritually and it would tell us exactly where we are when it comes to our faith in God. If one of you developed that in the future, it was my idea first and I get a cut of the profits, all right? Man, it would be awesome if we had those things to be able to do that. But spiritual maturity, it's not measured in that way. It's not measured uniformly. Just like our kids are born and, 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 and they, they develop different. They have different personalities. We all go through different ways, but we should be on this journey of development. But the truth that we use to dispel this myth is it's still work in our life. We have to choose to do the work wherever that we are. We have to choose to do the work to grow and mature. Philippians chapter two says, so then my beloved, just if you, as just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Now we know that's not to be saved and to go to heaven. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works unless we boast about it. Titus tells us, it's not by works of righteousness, which we do, but according to his mercy, did he save us. Okay, this is a letter being written to Christians that have already experienced justification in their life. And he says, but once you are justified, once you are saved, the sanctification process begins and you have to choose to work at growing in your faith. And to grow, the truth is, we have to choose to be motivated in that growth. Now, what we just read was sometimes we're motivated because of discipline that comes into our life. Sometimes people try to motivate us by saying, oh, health, wealth, and prosperity. If you trust God, all these great things are going to be happening in, in your life. I don't know about y'all, but I think Chris and Susan Chapel are pretty good examples of followers of Jesus Christ. And I wouldn't say what they're going through with in their life with their kiddo is actually anything that's really pleasant at this moment. So we know, we know it's not always just hunky-dory in those things. But what we also understand, we have to work in the midst of those difficult times to work out our salvation for it to be legit so that we're the salt and the light that God has called us to be. 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. In the evil things, yeah, be a child. Be naive. Don't be exposed to the wrong things in your life. But when it comes to being everything that you ought to be in Christ, don't be like a child. Be mature. We have to grow in our understanding of how God works. 
We have to grow in our understanding of how he programmed us and equipped us to be everything that God has called us to be. Not one formula works for everybody. There's many processes that we go through. Some of y'all love to live to listen to podcasts as you're running. A, I don't listen to podcasts and B, I don't run. So that wouldn't work for me, right? I don't need that in my life, but that may what you need. We all do it in different ways, but we're responsible to mature and grow, read, meditate, pray, fellowship with God, serve, come to worship, all those different things. Using that as a motivation and a catalyst for us to walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. The third myth that we want to dispel this morning is spiritual maturity is easy. Well, when I make that choice, it's just going to be easy peasy. It's just going to be hunky dory. It's going to be great. Dave, you can testify. It's not always that case. Amen. When we make that choice, oftentimes I see this with families that, that, that maybe one, one spouse married an unbeliever and then they begin to have a family and they're growing a family together and then the other spouse comes into a relationship with Christ. Suddenly there's a crisis of faith in their home. They've got teenagers that never went to church. They've got kiddos that don't know what it means to get up on Sunday morning and have to change their schedule. Sunday morning was pancake days. What do you mean we're getting up at 7.30 to get ready and go to church? Let me just give you a warning to you you young families that don't have kids yet. You start from day one training your kids how to go to church and you'll never have a problem with them going to church. That's the way it works. Train up a child on the way they should go. And guess what happens? They don't depart from it. They may go through a rebellious time. I'm not saying that it's a case for everybody, but I'm saying you have a better chance beginning that process. But we begin this journey. Why is there such a struggle? If I'm, if I'm choosing to live in the fellowship of God in my life, why is it such a struggle? Well, the first truth that dispels this myth that spiritual maturity is easy is that we face an enemy that is bent on stunting our maturity. He does not want us to grow. He does not want our salt to be salty. He does not want our light to be bright because he knows that you have people in your life that you influence. And when you're salty, they'll be thirsty. And when you're bright, they'll want to see what's giving you that light. And as such, he's going to come out on the losing end of that battle because greater is he that is in us that is in the world. And Jesus doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all would come into repentance. So if he keeps you from doing what God has called you to do, then you won't make a difference. And so he wants to stunt that. He brings difficulties and trials and struggles and all those things in our, in our life. And that's why Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We don't do it in our power. You know, that's what uh, in the Old Testament talks about. Some people trust in chariots and some trust in horses. That's not what we trust in. We don't trust in our ability and our strength. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God to accomplish those things that are there. So we have this enemy. So we know that spiritual maturity is not easy. We also have the fact that uh, you remember Jesus in, in the book of Matthew, he talks about how that there's this, this wide gate and this wide road and there's this narrow path and this narrow gate. He's trying to illustrate for us that few people around us are committed to spiritual maturity. I guarantee you there's more people unless you have your own business and it's a Christian-based business. By and large, there's more people in the place that you work that are not followers of Christ than are followers of Christ. There's more people on this wide path. There's more people on this way to destruction. When Jesus talks about these two gates or these two different ways or the wide gate and the broad way or road, uh, the narrow gate and the narrow way or road. He's talking about uh, this narrow way or road is the way to godliness and the broad way or the broad road is the way to ungodliness. The broad way or the road is the easiest way. 
It's attractive. It's self-indulgent. It's permissive. It's the inclusive way of the world. There's few rules. There's few restrictions. There's few requirements. Tolerance of sin is the norm. God's word is not studied or or, or thought to be authoritative. His standards are not followed. Um, This this wide path, this broad way, uh, it requires no spiritual maturity, no moral character, no commitment, no sacrifices. And, and so it's an easy path to be able to take. Some people take that path and never have a relationship with Christ. Others come into that relationship with Christ. And yes, they're disciplined by God, but they choose to continue stay on that because they say they don't want to give up the fun or they don't want to, 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 to have to cross family or those friends have been my friends for so many years. How could I turn my back on them? God never told you to turn your back on them. But what he did tell us is that we have to stand for truth and righteousness and do things in a way that's honoring to him. And that will definitely prove to be a conflict in our life. Jesus says, because of me, mothers and mothers and and daughters-in-laws and fathers and and son-in-laws, there are going to be conflicts in families because of me. Not because I'm coming because I want that. I'm coming to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And when you choose the narrow path, you're going to be at at, at odds with those that are on the wide, wide path. So the writer of Hebrews talks about this broad road in Proverbs 14. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And most people, Christians included, spend a lot of time following the masses that are on the road to destruction instead of the narrow path simply because of pain. We avoid it. We don't like it. We don't like it physically and we don't like it spiritually. Another final truth that that helps us back this up is uh, when you choose to make a change in your life because of your spiritual walk with God, um, it will be painful in your life. Remember, um, remember Isaiah, um, he finds himself in the presence of God. And immediately, what does he say? He says, give me some coals that I can put it upon my mouth because I know how unclean that I am. I don't know about you, but I don't know about a coal right out of a fire being put on my mouth. I got a feeling that's pretty painful. Amen. Well, that's kind of the picture. It's saying when we get in this right relationship with God and we get right with God and we begin to meditate on his word and pray and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We make the choice to follow God, to have godly dating principles. And we have these, all these things in our life. Yeah, it's not a physical pain, but it brings pain in our heart because we begin to measure ourselves by the holiness and the righteousness and the goodness of God. And we begin to see how unclean and ungodly we are in our relationship with our spouse or in our finances. And then we have to start making adjustments to get things right. And that's never an easy thing. It's like tearing the scab off the wound, but ultimately it brings us into the place that spiritual maturity is the norm. And it's better for us to be able to do that. So here's three myths that I've submitted to you this morning uh, that keep us from walking worthy of the gospel of Christ. Myth number one, spiritual maturity is optional. I hope I've shown you the truths that dispel that. Myth number two, spiritual maturity happens uniformly. I try to show the truths and then spiritual maturity is easy. And that brings us to the fourth and final myth I'm gonna share with you this morning. And it kind of wraps up this sermon or it does wrap up this sermon and begins to set the stage for what we're gonna be talking about moving forward. And myth number four is simply this, spiritual maturity is impossible. 
There's some of you that are here today and you've gone through things in your life or there was a time that you were growing in your faith and you're not growing anymore and there were some mistakes that were made or, or you've never, never gone through that process and you're kind of sitting here in a frustrated state today. You're kind of sitting here and say, yeah, it's just, imp- I've tried that. I'm, I'm here. I know I should be here. I'm, I, I know I'm a Christian, but I, it's just impossible for me. I've, I've tried that. And if that's you today, uh, I want you to know you're not the only person that's ever felt that way. You're not, not the only person that's ever struggled with it. I will say to you that just like the church at Corinth, the reason that many of them did not grow is because they just chose not to grow. If that's what you're choosing to do, then yeah, you won't ever grow. But if you're here today and you're truly feeling that call to grow and mature, but you're also feeling the enemy telling you it's useless. You can't do it. You've tried that before. You're less than. You'll just mess up this time like you did last time. That goes back to that myth that we dispelled that it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but it can happen. Spiritual growth is possible, 100% guaranteed. In Romans chapter 11, and I'm not going to get into great detail because I'm teaching through Romans 11 on Wednesday nights in Pastor's Corner Live. That will start back up on August 17th. In Romans chapter 11, Paul talks to us about how that when we're saved, we're grafted into the true vine. That, that we're now grafted into um, the promises that God has made that will last for all of eternity. And with that kind of understanding of now we're attached to the true vine, we're, we're attached into Jesus Christ himself, then it makes sense when we read this passage in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And because you've been grafted into and now you're a part of this true vine, he says in verse four, now abide in me. Abide in me. And as you abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He will walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So for us to grow spiritually, to be spiritually mature, we have to abide in Christ. We can't do anything in our power. Some people trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we're going to abide in Christ. We're going to bear fruit. We're going to be salty. We're going to be light because we're abiding in him and we're maturing. This is where I am today. I'm not going to be in that same place tomorrow. And I'm definitely not going to be in that same place 365 years. Or, wow, 365. No, you're not. You will be in a different place. 365 days from now, I'm not going to be in that same place because I'm choosing to abide in him. There's a lot of ways that we abide. But as a church family, we offer some abiding times. Such as we, have, we offer worship on Sunday morning. Who can come to the worship service at Oak Ridge Baptist Church? 
Anybody and everybody at any moment and any time is welcome to come to worship at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. Whether they believe like we believe or don't believe like we believe, whether they have political views like us or don't have political views like us, whatever their sexual orientation is, they are welcome to come to Oak Ridge Baptist Church because at Oak Ridge Baptist Church, they're going to be exposed to the good news of Jesus Christ and it's the good news of Jesus Christ that sets people free, not me, me telling them what they need to change in their life. We're going to expose them, expose them that truth. So everybody's welcome to come to that. As of the end of July, July 31st, we averaged 659 in worship between our two worship services. So that means that we have August, what's today? August 7th. We have August, September, October, November, and December to get our attendance up to 700 on Sunday morning. That's not going to be a hard thing to do. We've done statistical studies that show a third of our people come to church less than a third of the time. A third of our people come to church more than a third of our time. And one third of our people come to church more than two thirds of the time. And that right there of each and every one of us making sure that church is not just something that we spend that's part of our calendaring event, but it oversees everything that we do. That fact right there will get us to the 700 right off the bat. And that'll give us a new foundation to be able to do that. Now, when we get people through the door to worship, what is the next thing that we ask them to do? We asked them to go to ABF. What is our goal for ABF attendance on Sunday morning? 90% of our Sunday morning worship service attendees would go to an ABF class. At the end of July the 31st, the first seven months of 2022, our average on Sunday morning of number of worshipers that went to ABF class is 90% as of last Sunday morning. All right? That's awesome. I'll put that number up against about any church that there is out there. Okay, now, if we're going to grow our worship service at a minimum by 41, what does that mean that our ABF has to grow by to maintain 90? It has to grow in the same numbers. We have classes right now that are maxed out in the number of people that can sit in those classes. So guess what we might need to start doing? We might need to start messing with your ABF class. I heard, yeah, and I heard, uh-uh, you ain't doing that. Everybody, everybody look right here. Shake your head like this. Uh-huh, say it. Uh, no, let's say it with conviction. That sounds like Methodist. Let's say it like Baptist right now. Uh-huh. Oh, that's pitiful. See, nobody wants pain. It's true. We don't want pain to grow spiritually, and we don't want pain inside the church. Don't mess with my church. Don't mess with my ABF. Don't mess with nothing. I want to be the salt and light, but I want to do it my way. It doesn't work that way, and it doesn't work this way. We have to do whatever is necessary to be the salt and light as God has called us to be. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We have a second goal that once we get you coming to ABF class, now we want you to come to RBC University that starts next Sunday night on the 14th. We want 90% of our worshipers to come to ABF, and we want 75% of our ABF attendees to come to ORBC University. Everybody grab your phone right now. There's a QR code that's up on the screen. Hit that. If you've not signed up for one of our ABF, uh, excuse me, ORBC University classes, that begins next Sunday night. When you hit that code, all of those classes are going to show up. 
Go ahead and sign up for one of those and make the commitment that you're going to be a part of that. Last year, last semester was our first semester to set a goal for the number of people that came to ORBC University. Our goal is 75%. Last semester, we had 65% of our ABF attenders come back on Wednesday night. We want to get that number up to 75, and that is our number for going from there. Why? Because these are abiding opportunities. These are opportunities for us to be able to stay healthy, to be able to bear much fruit. Another initiative that we have in our abiding uh, vision is that every member, every person that's a part of Oak Ridge Baptist Church will attend at least three kindness culture events in a year. Our next kindness culture event, wow, there we go. Our next kindness culture event will be on August the 13th. When is August the 13th? It's this coming Saturday. We're going to do it a little bit different. Uh, We're going to start at 8.30 instead of 9.30. And we're going to have a family breakfast over in the activity center. Then we're going to come over into the worship uh, center at 9.30. And we're going to have a time together. Uh, We have a very guest speaker. Many of you were uh, expecting uh, the... the senator uh, uh, that's running for uh, our, our local office, um, he's not able to be with us. And so we've reached out to a very interesting personality. He spoke at our men's conference last year. Uh, he's going to be one of our breakout speakers again this year. Uh, he's a retired United States Marine Corps officer, uh, served at the Pentagon. He was ROTC um, instructor for Carol Houston at the, at the high school in Tomball when she opened that up. Uh, and he has a ministry that's called Array race. Uh, And it's an amazing ministry and story that he has that it's not about the color of the skin. It's about the color of a person's heart. And if you want to get things right in this world, get it washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it takes care of many of the things that we struggle with. And so it is a great testimony of things that we're going to be able to do. And at the conclusion of our time together with him, we'll meet in here at 930. We'll be done by 1030. We're going to divide up into teams and we're going to go out into the community. And we've got 5,000 of these. 1,000 of these. We have 1,000 of these that uh, um, we're going to take out into the community and we're going to put on doors in different parts because we believe that Oak Ridge Baptist Church has something to tell this world and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we want to just simply invite them and if somebody's outside when we run in contact with them, uh, we're going to offer them a bag of popcorn in addition to this and say we believe in family so we want you to come to our weekly family reunion and why don't you use this bag of popcorn to have some family time today. It's very non-threatening in what we're going to be doing and it'll introduce you to one of our abiding abilities or abiding ministries that we have here. So that's the future. That's kind of where we're heading and things that we're doing. Uh, If you're not a member of our church today and you say, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of, I would love to visit with you about that. If you're here today and you say, pastor, uh, I've been living contrary to the things of God and I've not experienced discipline spiritually in my life. Uh, That's another very important conversation uh, that we need to have today to be able to uh, talk about making sure that you have that relationship with Christ. And if you're feeling that, that moving, that calling from the Holy Spirit, uh, I'm going to be down here in the front during our final time of worship. Uh, at the end of our service time together, we'll have some of our family members over here uh, that have a sign that says, how may I help you? And they'd love to make sure that we're certain of that relationship uh, with you before uh, that you leave here today. So I'm going to lead us in a time of uh, prayer. When I finish, we're going to stand to our feet and we'll conclude our time with worship together. Father, we love you today. We're grateful for your word and the privilege that we have uh, to be able to study it and to be able to open it. Father, each of us are touched in different ways when we do that. And I pray uh, there'll be a freedom, that there'll be an openness right now to just simply say yes 
uh, because we know that you want us to have life and have it abundantly. Uh, But we also know that we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and to destroy us. And I pray that he'll not have victory in anyone's life today. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.